0: You can follow along with me as we continue in our uh, final portion of our series in the book of Romans. And we are picking up in the very last chapter of, uh, of that Romans, uh, that is Romans chapter 16. As you can see in your notes, uh, there are lots of verses there, um, but it really is, a, is kind of a unique passage. As you can see, what this passage is, I, I almost uh, entitled it Paul's Oscar speech. Uh, because it's kind of, it's a little bit like that. Not exactly, but I, I've, I've often thought, if, if I got the chance to give an Oscar speech, what would my speech be like? Now, certainly, as with most uh, you know, um, times you've seen award shows and you see the celebrity receive the award, there will be, especially in recent uh, years, a little bit more propensity to make some commentary about uh, some social or political issue going on, depending on their persuasion. <laughs> but, but sorry, still dealing with that thing, like oh i 'm all choked up i'm getting the, you know i 'm not really all that choked up, but <laughs> but at some point, they will get around to thanking people right that have made an investment in their life, typically it has something to do with family members they 'll talk about their team of advisors and management team and personal assistants. Uh, maybe they'll thank the people that they worked on a particular song with or were in a particular movie with whatever it might be and so i got to thinking about that like as it relates to these verses that are going to be before me and before us today as we as we look at this list that paul has where he's going to basically call out about 26 people by name and and talk about them in a very very positive way and so uh it's this idea of, of Paul taking the, the time to really thank the people who have served him, uh, the people that he has served, and then others where he has served together with them. And so I've called it his kind of like his loving salute to many people. And hopefully, there will be some things as we, we're not going to uh, necessarily focus on each individual person. We won't have the time to do that. But hopefully, I'll give you kind of a little a, a bit of an overview of what I think Paul is trying to do as he commends and, and, and offers greetings to these various individuals, and then uh, hopefully have some things that way we can apply into our lives as it relates to the way in which Paul gave this list many years ago. So before I get started, let me just pause for a quick prayer, and then we'll uh, jump off into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in worship uh, today, for the opportunity to gather with others today. We pray, Lord, that you would just uh, help us to, to be uh, sensitive to your Holy Spirit's leading, that we would, Lord, uh, just have our hearts open to be taught by you, and to learn, Lord. Not, again, as I oftentimes pray, uh, not just a little bit more about some of the people that are listed on this um, in this in this passage today, but God, how it kind of um, what what was the meaning behind Paul doing all of this and offering these. Uh, greetings to people and and what what would it possibly mean uh, for us today what what can we learn from it and how could it change our lives we pray this lord in the great name of jesus our lord our savior amen so one of the things that uh oftentimes is uh wondered by scholars readers studiers of this particular passage is they've kind of naturally wondered how the apostle could have known so many people so well in a church that he had never visited. Remember, his plan is to get to Rome. He wants to go there. He's going to deliver an offering to the, to the needy believers, the financially impoverished believers in Jerusalem. Then he's going to head to Rome, and, and after he uh, goes to Rome, his plan, his goal, his dream, is to continue on to Spain. So some people wonder, like, how does he know all of this uh, know all of these people, and some then, some scholars have actually developed a theory that the greetings that he's sending were actually sent to people in Ephesus and not Rome. But when, we, when you look at the, at the, for various, and we can go on, all, all the textual criticism issues that lead one to, to say, well, that's really not the best understanding of it. It seems to be the most natural understanding is that, that there were, these were people who, yes, were living in rome but probably had encountered paul or paul had encountered them in his ministry travels so in the ancient world though travel was much different was much more difficult and maybe was a little bit more rare than in our contemporary culture in the ancient near east travel still did did occur, occur. And so most of these people probably met Paul throughout his missionary journeys, and he's offering greetings back to them. Their home places, Rome, and he's met them or heard of them in various parts of his travels. And so Paul's going to begin uh, by just calling out uh, a few people uh, at the very beginning uh, by, na- by name for a uh, for a particular purpose, and then he's going to go into, a, a, as you can see there, a really massive list of many others. And so the first person that he's going to call out is he's going to call out this wonderful messenger that he has entrusted to take this letter to the Roman church. And that wonderful messenger is a woman whose name is Phoebe. Phoebe is, uh, is actually uh, the the, the Greek version of the, of the of a name which is uh, known for uh, the goddess Diana. And it, it's most likely Phoebe was named after the goddess Diana. She's, probably, she's uh, from Corinth, and uh, so Phoebe was not Jewish, but most likely she was a Gentile. The name means bright or, or radiant, and Paul says to the Roman believers, I commend to you... I give you my commendation. I am sending with my blessing and authority and with my love this woman named Phoebe who is a servant of the church in Cenchreae. And uh, as you can see, it goes on to say in verse 2, if you, uh, if you pick that up there, so you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her. In whatever matter she may require your help for she for indeed she has been a benefactor of many and of me also so paul has uh, see these several um uh, mentions about how well, how important phoebe is and, and who she is he first identifies her as his sister his sister, presumably not his sister, his, his, his biological sister, not his blood sister, but his sister in the Lord. And so one with whom he shares a great affinity for Jesus. So she's his sister in the Lord, and she is a servant of the church in Kentriae. Now, this word servant of the church is one of the ones that oftentimes brings up some debate about what exactly, who exactly is Phoebe. Because the word is the word diakonos. Now, for those of you who have a little bit of a uh, background in the church, you'll know diakonos is the word that we transliterate into our English word, deacon. And so it's the same word that's used specifically and technically to identify someone in the office of a deacon. It is also used more generally to speak of someone who is simply serving. So, so, of course, as you can imagine, some people, um, you know, would, would hotly debate, is Phoebe a deacon in the church, or is she just someone who's serving in the church? Now, you can read lots of different opinions on this, and you know, you're going to have to decide what, what you think, and I'm not here to try to convince you one way or another necessarily. But many, many scholars do believe that especially when the phrase of the church is connected to this word diakonos, it probably strongly some suggests some sort of recognized position, some sort of recognized position, some sort of leadership position in the church that Phoebe has. So it is most likely, I would suggest to you, is not just a a, a generic or more general use of the term in, in an adjectival way to say that she's serving, but more that she has some sort of official capacity, which then stands to reason that she would be the one who is bringing the letter to the Roman Christians. Phoebe is someone that is highly trusted by Paul. Phoebe is someone who has demonstrated faithfulness in, 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 the, in her uh, servant leadership within the church. And because of that, Phoebe then is the one that Paul is saying about her, hey, I am commending you to her and you should welcome her in a manner worthy of the saints. This woman is also someone who has demonstrated an enormous generosity. She is known as a benefactor. That's, uh, the word is prostasis, which means a helper. A patroness is, uh, is somehow sometimes how it's translated. Or a benefactor. In other words, she is most likely a woman of means, financial means. And she has made an investment in Paul's ministry. She has made an investment in many other people's ministry. And so she's seen, he's saying, listen, provide her whatever help you, that, that she needs because she has demonstrated an enormous heart of generosity in providing help to so many people. So this Phoebe that is whose job it is to carry the letter. And, and that's no small job. As I said, travel in the ancient world did, did occur. It wasn't like it never, never happened. But it was much more dangerous. It was, uh, it was definitely, the logistics were much more difficult. And so basically, Phoebe, the fact that she has these, this letter of commendation from Paul, these words of commendation from Paul are, are very important. And so as she would have made her way from Corinth to Rome, She would have needed to depend upon the hospitality of others. Again, she was a woman of means, but the way in which uh, she wasn't just going to get on hot wire as she was about 15 minutes out from where where she was about to stay and find a hot-rate hotel for 50 bucks a night, and then everything would be fine and good. It wasn't how the travel was going to go, and so there was this sense in which, again... Paul demonstrated an enormous amount of faith in this woman named Phoebe. And so as she is coming to them, she is coming to him with his authority. She is coming to him as a woman who has demonstrated the capacity to provide uh, in the the fellowships that she's been part of. She has provided a a leadership and an influence in those fellowships. She has blessed many others through the wealth that she herself has, has accumulated in whatever way that she did. And so this woman named Phoebe is the first one that Paul says, listen, I commend her to you. And it's someone that he highlights as a very important part of his ministry and a very important part of this letter that's coming to the Roman believers. So Phoebe, the wonderful Phoebe, the marvelous Phoebe, we would spend a lot of time. You could probably do a whole series on the faithfulness of Phoebe and on the way in which she served the church. But we'll move on to the gutsy couple. So, first, it's the, that wonderful messenger, Phoebe. The second one, the second uh, thing that he calls out specifically there that we're going to draw out on, and draw attention to a little bit is the gutsy couple. He says, Give my greetings to Prissa. Sometimes in some of your uh, English translations, it will be Priscilla. So, it could be Prissa, it could be Priscilla, and Aquila, my co workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life. That literally, that phrase literally means they put their necks on the chopping block for my soul. So it's a very graphic representation about how brave they were. Priscilla and Aquila were people that Paul had met, and again, in the interest of time, we won't we won't get, go into great detail about their relationship. But Priscilla and Paul had Priscilla and Aquila had met Paul uh, on in his ministry travels. They had invested in him uh, by. Uh, and by being an instructor of his, they also instructed a contemporary of his named Apollos. You can read more about Priscilla and Aquila in their ministry in Acts chapter 18, and you can see the interaction when Paul first met them up in the early part of the chapter, and then how they interacted with each other. So they made a deep investment into Paul as well. It's also been, uh, 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 again, some debate or at least, uh, you know, uh, conversation about why is it that Priscilla or Priscilla's name is always listed first in Scripture? Some have said, well, there could be a spiritual reason. Could be that uh, Priscilla is was converted first, and so because she was converted first, she is the first name listed uh, with that that with her husband uh, being listed second. Some have suggested that's also a different spiritual reason, that she is much more active in serving the church. And because her level of activity in serving the church is higher, she's listed first. She kind of gets top billing, again, in uh, in this marital relationship. Some have suggested it's a social reason, that again, just like Phoebe is, she also is perhaps a woman of standing, and so because she is a woman of standing in her community, she's listed first. She kind of carries more social weight, so to speak, social influence than that of her husband. Or some people have said, maybe it's just temperament. Maybe she's just got the dominant personality. And so because she's got the dominant personality, when people, thought, when, when people think of them as a couple, they think of Priscilla and Aquila because she's kind of the one that shines through. Not sure why exactly she's listed first. Again, could be multiple reasons, but it's clear in doing so that she has an enormous amount, has had an enormous amount of influence on Paul's life as well as her husband Aquila in their investment into Paul, into his life. You note, you'll note about them if you read down and if you pick it up there in verse uh, uh, verse. Uh, the end of verse uh, four, sorry. They risked their necks for my life, and he says, not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. So it's clear, Aquila and Priscilla, again, I've made a deep investment in uh, not only in the life of Paul, but in many believers in the ancient world. And so Paul is there to, to affirm them and to really, again, elevate them to this place where he really wants people to understand how significant they have been in his life. Their bravery, their willingness to put their lives on the line for his life, he does not you know, count that as something, uh, take that as, as something for granted. But instead, he commends them for that. He thanks them for that, and he certainly uh, wants them to understand. Wants the the people in Rome to understand that not only does he thank them for his investment, but all the Gentile churches that they they have had an impact on. He wants them to uh, wants the Roman believers to understand that they send their thanks as well. So after the after kind of drawing out these two, uh, these three special people, Phoebe the messenger. Uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, these this couple that, that they were instructors of Paul and risked their lives for him. Then Paul will go on to a, a long list of dedicated friends. a long list of dedicated friends. And so you can see that begins in, in verse five where he says, "To greet his uh, dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert from Asia, and goes all the way down then through, through, through verse 15, where he taught, uh, instructs them, to the Greek philagos, and Julia, and Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. So this long list uh, of, of names, this long list of names that Paul has, what are some things that we can, what are, what are a few takeaways that we can take from this list and how do, they, how do they help us to understand what Paul is doing here and, and what he's trying to accomplish? Well, the first thing that I would in, 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 encourage you to see is both the diversity and the unity that exists in this list. The Roman Christian church was diverse in many ways. It was diverse in, uh, in race. We know that, there, that Rome had, the Roman believers were of both Jewish and Gentile heritage. And this, and this is confirmed by the list. Certainly, Aquila and Priscilla uh, were both uh, Jewish Christians. We know that. We also know for certain that Phoebe was a Gentile Christian. There are many others that Paul identifies as people in his family or his kinfolk. Not, again, referring to his biological family, but his tribal family, his people of his race. And so he oftentimes will use this phrase, my fellow Jews. And so with that, that, that's not exactly how it's said in the original language, but that's an interpretive decision where the, the, the interpreters of that, of that English Bible or as translators of, that, of the English Bible are helping us to see these are not necessarily people who had a blood relationship with Paul, but they were Jews just like he was. So we know that the, the, Roman, uh, the Roman church had diversity in, in race, that uh, had diversity among uh, both Jewish and Gentile Christians. There's also the 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 idea that there is a very significant class diversity that exists in the um in the uh, in the Roman Church, there are five names listed: uh, uh, Ampliatus, Urbanus, Hermes, Philologus. And by the way, Philologus. Is, is some of you who know a little bit about Greek, philos, logos, lover of the word. What a name to have there, right? Lover of the word. That's that, That's what that name means. And Julia all were very common names for slaves. So most likely, there were slaves that existed in the Roman uh, Christian church. But not only were there there slaves, but according to what we understand from the people that are described by Paul, we also seem to have uh, established among scholarly evidence a presumption that among those salutations in the epistle to the Romans that some of the members, at least... At least some of the uh, members of the imperial household of, the, of Caesar's household were represented in the Christian church. And so there's, uh, there's multiple connections with not only people who are the lowest of the low, that is people who were slaves, maybe still living as slaves, but also the highest of the high. And so this, the, the Roman church had diversity as it relates to um, race. It had diversity as it rel- relates to class. Probably one of the most instructive and interesting aspects of the church diversity is that of gender, especially as Paul identifies. And we've already talked about the the example of Priscilla and Aquila. We've also already talked about the example of Phoebe and his incredible affirmation. In this list, out of the persons that, that, that Paul greets, nine of them are women and four of them he says, he singles out specifically four of those women Mary, Trophina, and Trophosa. Um, uh, the they're probably sisters. Uh, many people suggest that they per- perhaps are twins. Um, and, and then the, the fourth woman, Mary, Trophina, Trophosa, and Persis. He identifies all four of those women as that they had worked very hard. The word in, in, exp, uh, implies a very strong exertion laboring to the point of exhaustion, being like sweaty and worn out and just spent. Like, you know, just think about after what, whatever the last time it is where you worked out at a gym or did something at home that was really difficult or did just did something that was absolutely completely and totally exhausting to you that's what this word means and so paul paul is saying about these about, about these women that they had worked very hard in the Lord he uses that word about those four women and only those and no one else in this list only those four women so it's clear he wants the people in Rome to understand that, they're, that, they're, that they're, the way in which the people are making a uh, a difference in the lives of others is certainly being exampled, especially by these four women. And so among all of those, um, among all of those realities, we can see that Paul uh, that Paul wants to to connect the incredible diversity, but also at the same time. Uh, highlight the unity that exists because again it is clear that in the Roman church they are demonstrating unity with each other by it's not like they have the church where all the slaves go and the church where all the free people go the church where all the Gentiles go and the church where all the Jews go the church where all the women go and the church where all the men go but instead they are living as one body and so Paul in compiling this list for us wants us to see how they are demonstrating the fact that there is no, there is no, and we know this from, right from the word, right? There is, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no male, there is no female, there is no slave, there is no free, but there are what in Christ Jesus? One, one in Christ Jesus. And so I would suggest that the way in which Paul talks about people of nobility and slaves, talks about Jews and Gentiles, hardworking, incredible incredible superstar, committed believers that are both men and women. He wants them to understand that all of those things that tend to divide us, divided by class, divided by ethnicity, divided by gender, divided by socioeconomics, divided by education, all those go away in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful reality in the body of Christ? It's such a wonderful and beautiful picture that Paul paints just in giving us these greetings to all these different people. Secondly, I hope you can see the depth of the relationship. Paul uses the terminology, as you can see, these are people who I dearly love. He uses the terminology of brothers and sisters and household he talks about people that are his dear friends. Paul definitely has, he talks about them being together in Christ or in the Lord. And so these are people who certainly are ones that he doesn't have. And again, even though he, it's not like he's spent probably an inordinate amount of time with them, but he has a depth of relationship with them. And I would suggest to you partially that depth of relationship is because they have spent time serving the Lord together they have worked together they have faced battles together they have again just like the example of of uh, Priscilla and Aquila they put their lives on the line for him and so those kind of things those kind of relationships begin to get very very strong and so it's clear that the depth of the relationship that Paul has with these people is not shallow but instead it's one that exists at a very deep level last thing I would point out to you is Hopefully, you can see the strength of their character. Over and over, what does again Paul say? We, we saw that about these women who worked very hard in the Lord. You can see in verse three, uh, up in verse um, seven, he uses the example of Andronicus and Junia, his fellow Jews and fellow prisoners. Paul, um, Paul talks on, on multiple occasions about the character of these people, that many of them had faced suffering for him. They had worked very hard for him. And you can see that uh, about those people in, in Andronicus and, and uh, Junia, they were her fellow Jews and fellow prisoners. They are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostle, apostles, and they were also in Christ before me. That's another interesting per, uh, group there. And, and again, you might just read right over that and not think too much of it. But when, you, when Paul says that about Andronicus and Junia, most likely, and, and by the way, there's some debate over whether Junia is uh, the, the Greek form that's listed in the Im- original manuscript, uh, could be, it could be taken as a, a male name or a female name, but the male name is never seen anywhere uh, else in, in, in culture at that time in this, in this particular use. And so nearly every uh, uh, translator decides uh, on the feminine version of the name, and most likely then this is referring to a husband and wife, a, cu- a married couple. Note that it says about them that they are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles. So there's a a couple of thoughts about this. So the the word apostle is either can refer to, uh, there's a couple of different ways to take that. There is the most technical, strictest definition of the apostle, and that would have been the 12 individuals that Jesus Called that God revealed to him after his night of prayer that they would be with him. He designated them as apostles, and so there is that most that strictest definition of those twelve as the apostles. We know after after the uh, the death of Judas Iscariot, Matthias was added to that group, and by inference, we can also understand that Paul was in a sense. One of the, uh, a 13th apostle, even though he wasn't part of that original group. There is also a more general use of, of the term apostle, which refers to people who are sent out, because that's what the word means, sent ones. Jesus sent out those, the 12. They were the first emissaries of the gospel. They were the first missionaries. And so there is also a more general term that refers to people as apostles. And so when you read this and it says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow prisoners, they are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles. That sounds like that Andronicus and Junia are doing things that the apostles themselves are taking note of and are quite impressed by. Do you get how that, how that reads that way? Unfortunately, that's, not the, that's straining the Greek to use this particular translation. It's probably not the best understanding of the, of the phrase that is translated in our uh, Bible, and no Bible is perfect. You know, English translation is perfect. People make interpretive decisions, right? Let me, let me back up for a second because I don't, want, uh, I don't want the Bible people to start throwing stuff at me. The Bible is without error in its original uh, autographs, okay? So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about error within, this, within the Scripture, but what I am saying to you is, there are in English translations always interpretive decisions that are made that lead some translators to uh, translate certain things this way into English and trans- other translators to transla- translate things a different way in English. That was my point, just so you didn't misunderstand me, okay? So when, when that, when that, when that um, reading goes as such, that's a po- and that's a possibility, the more likely reading, though, of the one that would be most consistent with the Greek would be not that they are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles, but they are outstanding among the apostles, which means that Andronicus and Junia were serving as missionaries, serving as apostles, not in the technical sense of the 12, because they wouldn't have been part of the 12. They wouldn't have been part of that group but instead they would have been part of a group of people who are serving as missionaries sent out to spread the gospel. And so again, this is another example of Paul highlighting the incredible servant leadership of this husband and wife couple as they serve as apostles, maybe we could say little A apostles, not big A apostles, if that makes sense to you. Not part of the 12, but serving as sent ones by the church to take the gospel elsewhere. The strength of their character is clear. The depth of the relationship that Paul has here is clear. And the diversity and unity in the church is clear. What do we take away from this? Like this list of 20 some odd names. Hardworking women. People who are risking their lives. People who are helping others out of the financial means that they have. Influencers, leaders, slaves, free people, Jewish people, Gentiles, women, men, people of noteworthy class and and rank in in society, some who have no rank at all in society. I think what what a list like this does is it reminds us about how the gospel unites, how the gospel cuts across all of that. It's not that it's wrong for us to identify ourselves by our gender or by our race or by our background or what we do for a living or our temperament, personality, whatever it might be. I'm I'm not suggesting that's wrong, but fundamentally what the gospel does is it unites us across all of that. It cuts through all of that and it brings us together to experience intimacy and love in Christ Jesus. All of these people, as Paul wraps up his Oscar speech, are incredibly important to him. They've made an investment into him. He's made an investment into them. They've together made an investment in others. And the list that Paul preserves for all time, kind of a neat thing for some of these people, wouldn't you think, to find themselves on this list and get a special mention from the apostle? How encouraging and affirming would that have been for people who otherwise would not be known by the world hardly at all today, but now are known because of the strength of their character, the depth of their relationship with each other and with Paul, and the incredible unity they demonstrated with each other, even in the midst of a very, very acute diversity, that existed in the Roman church at that time. That's something to celebrate, the unity that exists, the way the gospel connects us, and the way it cuts through all those things which typically divide us. Let me pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this list of names. That's that's what it is. (laughs) And yet, Lord, each of those names is a life of an individual, that Paul, upon your inspiration, felt led, Lord, to record for all time. And I pray, God, that we would recognize the wonderful gift that we are to each other, that we would be able to identify those people in our lives that are our dear friends, that have labored hard with us, that have demonstrated leadership and commitment and love, that have stepped across across boundaries that would typically divide to experience unity. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we ask that as we live out those principles of love, compassion, servanthood, leadership, commitment, that you would unite us, unite us together in you, unite us together with each other. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of the body of Christ. We thank you for the many ancient believers that are on this list and for their incredible investment in the work of the kingdom. And we know that that work continues today as people even who are sitting in this room, continue to make an investment in each other and then live out their calling that you have given them in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.